0: Well, you've just had a good lesson in practical divinity here today. Already, if you want to know the secret of the Christian life, there are two things you need to know. You need to trust and you need to obey. And if you can get those two things down, you've got most of it done right there. Trust and obey, and that's what we struggle with every day in our Christian life. Isn't that true? To trust and obey. I will be mentioning that hymn again later on. Lord willing. Turn to Proverbs chapter 13, please. You know, in my series on Proverbs that I do on Wednesday nights, uh, it's been a, a, a very fulfilling series for myself. I've, I've learned much more than you have. And every now and then I come across a verse and I say, you know what, I, I'm going to reserve that one. Uh, I'm going to wait on that one and bring it on a Sunday morning. And so this is one of those verses, you know, we're farther along in Proverbs 13 than this, but we're going to look at verse 9 this morning. Proverbs 13, verse 9, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray that your blessing would be upon the word, for if your Holy Spirit blesses it, we will be blessed. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now in this passage before us here today, we have the light of the righteous compared with the lamp of the wicked. Now the NIV puts it this way. It says the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. We're going to basically look at the verse in, with both of those thoughts in mind. The Bible has a lot to say about light. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. And then he tells us, us that are true believers, that we are the light of the world. In John 1.5, as we read for our call to worship, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, well, excuse me, that's in 1 John 1.5. We didn't read that for the call to worship, but in our, in our uh, scripture reading uh, that we did before. And so he goes on to say in the following two verses, if we say that we have no fellowship with him, this, that's in First John chapter 1. If we have no fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now in the Bible, as you all know, darkness is always associated with sin and with ignorance and with evil, while light is associated with righteousness and wisdom and fellowship with God. And as we study our text here this morning, I, I want to answer the questions, what is the light of the righteous? And what is the lamp of the wicked? Also, what is it about the light of the righteous that makes it shine brightly, as some translations put it, or that rejoices, in, as, as our translation has it? And what is it about the lamp of the wicked that makes it to be put out or to be extinguished those are the questions, basically, that I'm going to try to answer in this in this message. First, let's define what the Old Testament means by the terms the righteous and the wicked. We run into that a lot, don't we? We run into that a lot in the wisdom literature, the righteous and the wicked. Because there may be some here that would think, well, I'm neither one of these. I am I know I'm not righteous, but I'm really not wicked either. Um, when it says the righteous... It doesn't mean someone who's sinlessly perfect. It simply means someone who's on the pathway of righteousness. It means a true believer, a true follower of Christ, someone who's a genuine follower of God. And when it says the wicked, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody that's a murderer or an adulterer or an extortioner or something like that. It simply means someone who is not a true believer and is not on the pathway of righteousness. So it's important that we understand these categories in the Bible so that we can put ourselves into the right category. One of the best things I can help you with today, uh, if, if, if my message helps you with anything, is to put yourself in the proper category. If you ought to be numbered among the righteous, then I want to want you to feel that you are numbered among the righteous. And I certainly don't want someone who ought to be numbered among the wicked to think that they're numbered among the righteous. And this is something that's an epidemic in our day and uh and that's and I don't want that so uh uh so a true follower of Christ might not draw comfort from a passage that promises good to the righteous because he thinks, "Oh, I'm such a sinner well that's that's not the way you should look at it, and then, on the other hand, somebody that isn't hasn't really been born again, doesn't really know the Lord um might not take warning from a passage that addresses the wicked and their thought is well you know I'm not wicked I just don't believe in Jesus I just never uh, surrendered my life to Christ I'm not wicked uh, no if you reject Jesus as your savior you are by definition by God's own definition you are under the same condemnation of all people that reject Jesus Christ they are the wicked And no matter how outwardly good they may seem to be, they are categorized with the wicked. And you will take your place with the wicked in hell if you don't come to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. So what is the light of the righteous? Well, let me give you a definition of the light of the righteous. It is the entire body of God's truth, which includes all the word of God, that is the Bible, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ told his enemies, he said, "You search the scriptures, and he said, uh, he said they are those which testify of me." And uh, uh, but they didn't see Christ in the scriptures. It includes this light of the righteous. includes also though it also includes the grace of God and the people of God whose lives are dedicated to living in that light. As we read it in First John: If we walk in the light. We have fellowship with God. So this is the light of the righteous, what is meant here. See, uh, for us that have been born again in Christ, it's, it's as though we were walking in total darkness. And then when we were converted, it's as though the light was all of a sudden switched on, like Mark was saying here as he introduced one of the hymns. That's really, that's really what happens when a person is converted. They're walking in darkness and then it's like a light comes on. And if you've been born again, you know what I'm talking about. Now there again, some of you that's been that were saved as very very small children, it's hard for you to remember those things and you may not even have that in your memory and I understand that. That's that's not a disadvantage for you. <laughs> that is not. Sometimes sometimes people that are saved as very small children uh, grow up and have a hard time with assurance because they don't have this dramatic experience that so many Christians talk about when they've been born again. No, don't feel bad about that. You, you, you're not a less of a Christian because you're saved when you're very young. And another thing to remember about the light of the righteous is it's not their own light, but it's the light that's given to them by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our text says the light of the righteous rejoices. And I would say this, it is a rejoicing light. It not only helps us to see and to understand things that we didn't understand before, as light comes into our lives, it illumines our lives, we understand things we didn't know before. It not only does that, it gives us a reason for living that fulfills our deepest longings. Everyone has longings and desires. Everybody here, everybody listening on the Internet, you have longings and desires. But at the root of all those longings and desires is the soul's deep-seated need for God. Every soul thirsts for God, but most souls don't recognize that's what they're thirsting for. We don't recognize this thirst while we're unreconciled to God. And so we seek to fulfill them some other way. And uh, there's nothing that can fill the place of God in our souls, but God himself. And I remember as a lost young man, I remember I went from one thing to another, trying to find the fulfillment or the satisfaction of my soul in this activity or that activity or this relationship or that relationship or this a new kind of work or whatever i was doing there's something i always knew there was something more something more and and the, the desire of my soul could never be satisfied no matter what no matter what i was involved in but when i came to christ that all changed he became to me that living water that he talks about when he when he talked to the woman at the well that living water i mentioned wednesday night so the light of the righteous is a light of rejoicing So I want to say, first of all, this brings rejoicing to the one that it has been given to. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Joy is the second one listed in that list of the fruit of the Spirit. Here's what happens when a person is converted to Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches us to love God and others. He gives us reason to hope, whereas before we had no real hope. And as this love and this hope become real to us and peace comes into our lives, first of all, peace with God, then much, much more comes into our lives. The Holy Spirit works in our lives and sanctifies us and brings us closer to God in many different ways. And we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. This is the, the language of Scripture. We're conformed to the image of Christ and as we do that, we, re- we reflect the light of Christ more and more. We reflect Jesus in our lives more and more. You know what makes you beautiful? Not the makeup you put up in the morning. What makes you beautiful is Christ in you. As Christ is in you, the more he fills you, the more beautiful you become in God's eyes and in the eyes of men, really. The light of the righteous rejoices. The knowledge of Christ Brings us joy, and we ought to be rejoicing people. If you're a Christian today, you ought to be a rejoicing person. And uh, who has more cause for rejoicing than those of us that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? Look, our our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. Our sins, which are weighing us down and ready to plunge us into perdition. Our sins, which caused the wrath of God to abide upon us, as the Bible says, that cut off our fellowship with God. Those sins, they're forgiven. They're put away. The Bible says they're cast as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad he didn't say the north to the south. See, the Bible knows its geography. said east from the west. You can keep going east, and you're always going east. But if you go north, eventually you go south after you've passed the North Pole, you see? But he said east to west, east, you know, as far as the east is from the west. So that's a pretty far distance. That's what he calls eternity, right? So um, so we have this, this blessing. We have a reason to rejoice. And we can say, as Horatio Spafford uh, could say, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And you know, maybe, maybe not all of you know this, but Horatio Spafford, when he penned these words, he did this at the very site of the spot where his daughters were drowned just uh, earlier, uh, not, not just maybe a week or weeks earlier. At that very site, the captain told him, here's where your daughters perished. And I think he lost three daughters There and you can imagine the grief that overflowed his soul. I got four daughters, that's why I choke up a little bit when I think about it. But he he lost his children at sea, you know. And we see in this example with Horatio Spafford, we see uh, the superiority of the joy of Christ over the joys of the world. For the joy of the world can be taken away from us and turned into sorrow at any time. But the joy of the Lord shines brightly, as some translations put it, even in the midst of the greatest of sorrows. Indeed, it's the joy of the Lord in the midst of sorrow that distinguishes us from the world and brings glory to God. You know, a young woman suffering from cancer, as this on the outside of her office door, if your faith if your faith will not will not stand up under serious trial, it's not faith it's not faith, but true faith in Christ does stand up under it, and how does it? because the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a strange thing the Christian Goes through trouble, and as Peter says, it causes us grief. It's not like the trouble we go through doesn't hurt. It hurts us. Sure, it hurts. We cry. Mr. Spafford and his wife, you know, no doubt, you know, no doubt they grieved terribly at this horrible tragedy, losing their children in this way. But in the midst of sorrow and trouble, If we have our presence of mind and we meditate on the gospel, we have hope and joy intermingled with our tears. We have something that the world does not have. And this is why the Apostle Paul says that we ought to not sorrow as the world sorrows, as those who have no hope. Because if you are in Christ and if your loved ones are in Christ, when they go, you don't have to sorrow as those that have no hope. And if our sins are forgiven, it is well with our soul. There is no tribulation or sorrow that can harm the soul. But sin, sin is the undoing of us all. Sin, unforgiven, is like a millstone tied around your neck, which is ready to drown us any moment in the sea of God's wrath. And if we really understood that, then we would say, when our sins are forgiven, we'd say, we'd sing like Horatio Horatio Spafford, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And we can truly praise the Lord with our soul. So if we only had a clear picture, all the time, of the benefits of having our sins forgiven and being in Christ, how that would produce constant joy in us as Christians. And it ought to produce great fear in non-Christians. Robert Murray McShane said this in the hymn he wrote. He said, When I hear the wicked call on the rocks and hills to fall, when I see them start and shrink on the fiery deluge brink, then, Lord, shall I fully know not till then how much I owe. See, the wicked he's referring to is anybody that doesn't have their sins forgiven. But then he goes on in that same hymn, and this is the perspective for us that belong to Christ, and that is, when I stand before thy throne dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, when the praise of heaven I hear loud as thunders to my ear, loud as many waters' noise, sweet as harps' melodious voice, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I know. You know, I've thought about that so often. I thought, if I could just fully understand, just fully know all the benefits that there are to be in Christ, if I could just fully know that, I would be constantly rejoicing. None of my trials would faze me. I'm sorry I'm not that holy. I wish I was. i got to confess to you I'm not. But the joy the Christian ought to have at all times when we consider these things. And there's so much more. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we also rejoice in our newfound relationship with God. Before we were under God's wrath, but now God has not only forgiven us our sins, but he's adopted us into his very own family. How precious is this? Now, instead of God's frown, we who are Christ are members of God's household. And we have the privileges of the relationship of being in his household. For example, in First Peter, he says, uh, in First Peter 5, 7, we have this precious promise, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Did you know that God does not want you to carry your burdens and your sorrows around with you? He wants you to cast them upon Him. And I'm really good at casting them upon Him. And then when my prayers are done, I say, Well, Lord, I'll take them now. I'll take them and I'll hold them the rest of the day and worry about them. But if we just cast them there and leave them there, right? And we have that privilege. We come to Him in prayer. And we say, Father, help me. And only we can do that and be heard. Father, help me, we cry out. And uh, uh he says to us, what is it, my child? What can I do for you? Tell me. Tell me what I can do. I'm glad to help you. Christian, think of the times that God has come to your aid. Remember how he has answered your prayers. And I'm sure that many of you have gone through such trials and God has brought you through them in, in a wonderful way. And you can look back at that and say, yeah, that was amazing how God heard my prayer. Doesn't that feed joy into your soul when you think about your heavenly father caring about you so much? He cares for all of your troubles. He cares for all your burdens. And he helps you. And when you cry out to him, he doesn't ignore you. He's there for you. Uh, uh, the greatest thing about the Christian's relationship with God is our relationship with God. He is our father. What a comfort. What earthly father loves like he does? For a true believer, God is now our comfort in sorrow. He is our guide when we were perplexed. He's our provider when we are in need. He's our counselor when we need wisdom. He's our strength in our weakness. He's our hope in despair. He's our peace in the midst of turmoil. He's our protector from all evil. He's our friend who gladly invites us to eat at his table. And he's no rainy day friend either. He won't leave you like your earthly friends will do. In fact, he's bound himself with his own word, with the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. What a wonderful promise. And God can't break his promise. He can't forsake you. Sometimes I have felt forsaken. I've got to say, there's times when I've felt forsaken. I've been in such a terrible trial and I'm I'm weeping, and I feel like God has deserted me. But then the Holy Spirit reminds me, remember, you can't be forsaken. It's impossible for you to be forsaken because you're a member of God's household, and God has said he will never leave you, and God binds himself by his word, and he can do no other. He is with you even when you don't feel like he is. And, Christian, there are times when you don't feel like he is. I understand that. I've been there. But we've got to live by faith, not by how you're feeling at the moment. We we walk by faith, not by sight. And God is generous to us, and he gladly gives us what we need. But not only are our sins forgiven, and not only do we have this new relationship with God, but we also have a gift from God. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have victory over sin. We're not in bondage any longer to sin. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. And he goes on to explain what he means. In verse 17 he says, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that is when you walked in darkness, you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That form of doctrine is... You received Christ. You you cried out for the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's the form of doctrine he's talking about. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Let me tell you something. You're a slave. Every one of you is a slave. You're either the devil's slave or you're Christ's slave. One or the other. Now, you might be sitting here and you're not in Christ and you know you're not in Christ and you say, I'm nobody's slave. I'm my own free person. You just call God a liar. Because the Bible says you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. You're one or the other. And that's the reality of it. But when we're in Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. And we do not have to wallow in it anymore. Now, um, we all struggle with sin, don't we? I you know, I'm not sitting up here saying, Listen, I've got it all whipped, you know, I never never have any trouble with sin. Listen, I'm I got troubles with sin. I still have remaining sin. I still have remaining corruption. I still have to to go to that verse in first John where it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have to employ that as much as you do. We all struggle with sin. But listen, Christian, we have the victory over sin. You don't have to feel defeated or feel like that sin cannot be defeated in your life. Some of us struggle with some sins more than others. There is such a thing as a besetting sin. And God, God knows what your, your, your struggles are. And you might be more disposed towards the sin of alcohol or the sin of you know, lust or the sin of anger or so many other different sins. There's as many sins as there are hairs on your head. So you all struggle with different sins, and maybe your own disposition makes you struggle with one sin more than another. But listen, you can take you can take joy in the fact that you you're not a slave to that sin. You are not a slave to that sin. We are more than conquerors in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He will give you the victory. And we just have to we have to employ the means He's given us. You know, so many times when we struggle with sin and we're not having victory, you know what? What what we find out. Is that we're not employing the means that God gives us. It's like an alcoholic, you know, he's he's struggling with alcoholism and he can't get over his alcoholism, but you go to his house and you open his cupboard and he's got alcohol in it. Duh. You know, what's the matter? Listen, when I'm on a diet, I don't stock my I don't I don't stock my uh pantry with a bunch of candy bars, you know. You know, we got to remove the temptations. There's things we need to do if we're serious about it. And a lot of times when Christians are struggling with a particular sin, you know what, they're just not serious enough about it yet. The reason that you haven't gotten a victory over it is because you haven't really learned to hate it enough. You haven't really learned to uh, hate it enough to do the things you need to do to get rid of it in your life. You want to cherish it just a little bit more. You want to... You, you get mad at it for a while... Just like a mother gets mad at her little child. I'm mad at you right now. But then a little while later you want to coddle it. Oh, I love you so much. We do that with our sin. We need to learn to hate it and hate it all the time. We need to to love God and hate sin. So we have a lot to rejoice in. And we can say so much more. But not only does the light of the righteous cause the righteous to rejoice. The light that we have as Christians brings joy also to others. And as it brings joy to others, this also multiplies our own joy as well. And I like that that translation. It says it grows brighter. It grows brighter. You see, I mentioned earlier that the encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well at Sychar... The Samaritan woman, you know the story well in John 4.14, and he tells her, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now consider this. A real fountain produces a stream unlike man-made fountains. Man-made fountains, you see a fountain in the middle of a shopping mall? You know what that fountain is, right it's just recirculating the water. you know it's not getting fresh water the water you see in that you know fancy fountain that's all recirculated. A real fountain doesn't do that. a real fountain takes the water right out of the ground and and from the fountain there comes a stream, a necessary stream. there has to be an outlet right for a real fountain. Well, a real fountain produces a stream that benefits others, and when Jesus comes into the life of a person that that, that water of life that he gives us becomes a stream flowing out of us to benefit others and brings eternal life to others. Think about the woman at Sychar. The woman at Sychar couldn't wait to go tell the people in the village about Jesus and her encounter with what, who she, she, Jesus re, uh, revealed to her that he really is the Messiah. Can you imagine how excited she was? She went into the village and told everybody. They came out. And they asked him to come to the village, and he stayed there three days. That was one of the biggest revivals, by the way, in the New Testament. The the people at Sychar, and that's uh, sometimes we take that for granted, but a Samaritan village was was one of the most blessed places in all the New Testament when Jesus stayed there three days and taught them Samaritans about himself. Listen, Christians, we need to let our light shine. What if that woman just took what she knew and she went back to her own house and kept her mouth shut? But she didn't. She went and let her light shine, and it, and it was a blessing to the entire community. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jesus said this. He said, Nobody puts a light and uh, uh, lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. She puts it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. That little uh, children's ditty, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's a good one. We ought to let it shine. If you've got the light of Jesus, you ought to let it shine. Fathers, mothers, don't hide your light from your children. Let your children see your light. Sit them down. Tell them why you love Jesus. Be as excited to tell them as the woman at the well was to tell the people in the city of Sychar about her experience with the Messiah. And make sure that they also see it in your life that you really mean it. You mean business with God. And uh you know whether well, they can tell you they can you know your kids can tell if you don't mean business they can tell you can't kids don't live with their parents and not know what their parents are all about. they do, even if they don't say so. you can't fool them, but we should all let our light shine wherever we are, and what joy it has brought to us it can bring to others. You know, I think about my children and grandchildren, all my children are saved now, and my uh and I got a almost half of my grandchildren that are in Christ. And, you know, that is a great blessing to me. That is a, uh, maybe the premier blessing of my life. It should be, and it's a wonderful blessing. What rejoicing that brings to me. And I think about them and the, re- and the, and the rejoicing in their own lives that they got through the gospel being uh, blessed in our family. And this the fountain of living waters flowing out to them, flowing to their children now, maybe flowing to my grandchildren's children. Uh, what a wonderful thing! You know, and I look out on this church and I see some of you young people that uh, that were in my little sun, my Sunday school class when you were little, and I remember and I remember uh, some of you were in my Saturday classes that I used to have, and and you know who you are, and I look at you and I look at your lives and I think, what rejoicing! What rejoicing! They got something. They got something in their lives that uh, that is special, something that brings them joy into their lives, that something, something that sustains them when they're going through those dark hours. And it brings me joy to see that in their lives. That 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 little that fountain that, you know, that Jesus puts in us, that flows, it flows into the lives of others. And uh, so the light of the righteous rejoices and it shines brightly. Now another thing that's remarkable about this light is that it, it gives us, uh, God gives us this light and it keeps getting brighter. I mentioned that earlier. Proverbs 4.18 says this, it says, The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. Christian, I've got good news for you. Your light can grow brighter. It can. Even as your body grows weaker, it can grow brighter. It's God's will for us to grow in grace. And as we do so, our lights grow brighter. And as our lights grow brighter, our joys grow grow greater. You know, Christians can backslide. And as they do, they lose their joy. Did you know that? Did you know that if you're backslidden, it robs you of your joy? It does. Backsliding is nothing more than darkness overtaking you. It's not walking in the light. Only the light of the righteous brings joy. You're backsliding will bring you no joy. Now, to be sure, there are times when a Christian can lose their joy from other causes than backsliding. I want to make sure about that. You understand that. We need to beware of judging others. For example, we now know that there are medical reasons that can produce depression. Also, a Christian might be going through the trial of his or her life at this particular time. And for the moment, they're struggling to have joy because of the great grief and the great sorrow they're going through. Uh, So the the joy right now in their life might be being challenged by the troubles in their lives. and it'll, It'll come out in time. They'll gain the victory. Don't judge them. Pray for them and encourage them in their hour of need. It doesn't mean that they're backslidden just because they aren't smiling ear to ear right now. But the truth is, Christian, we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves why we don't have joy. And it might be that we're cherishing some pet sin and we're not walking with the Lord as we ought. The hymn, Trust and Obey, that I remarked about earlier, that we sang earlier, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. So my question for you this morning, are you trusting and obeying? Are you? It's, uh, that's, that's the key to the Christian life. Now we'll go to the second part of the verse. But the lamp of the wicked will be put out. The wicked have a false light. They call it light, but it isn't light. What men call enlightenment is really darkness. Gay rights, abortion rights, the new morality. They all claim to be the enlightenment of society, and they despise any that oppose their views, and they accuse us of living in the dark ages. Such accusations against God's people are not new. Scripture speaks of these same things in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 5, this is 700 years before Christ, Isaiah says this, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You see, this phenomenon we're experiencing in our society is nothing new. It's as ancient as ancient can be. But listen to the judgment of God upon it. In verse 24 of that same chapter, he says, Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel." So when you see Good Morning America or some of these other shows that they put on, and they put these uh, homosexuals up there, and they put them up there as as as, uh, as uh, somebody that you ought to be ought to, ought to emulate, listen, don't be don't be discouraged and don't be intimidated by it. The curse of God is upon them, and they will face the judgment of God. So don't be intimidated, Christian, and don't, and don't, and don't, uh, and don't kowtow to them. Don't say, oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to be tolerant. Listen, I can be tolerant of the sinner, but we need to condemn the sin. We need to love the sinner, but we need to hate the sin. And it's nothing new that they hate us for calling it sin. So don't be intimidated. They speak very proudly now. They strut themselves and they're very bold now while they defy the laws of God. We see it in our society all around us. But the day will come when the lamp of the wicked will be put out. On that day they will cry for the rocks and the hills to hide them from the face of the Lamb that they have offended that's on the throne. And that's the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. And even now, even now, the truth be known, before Judgment Day, this root of rottenness and this blossom of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of wickedness that ascends like dust that Isaiah talks about, even now, they're, they're suffering under the judgment of, of God. You know, the news media and the Hollywood cesspool and the intelligentsia of our society, they won't tell you about the, you know, about how their sinful lifestyles and, and, uh, and how they, when they reject God and they live their sinful lifestyle, they won't tell you about the, the real fruit of their sin. They won't tell you that the fruit of their sins is reaped even now in suicide, in disease, and broken and unfulfilled relationships. They're not filled with, with, with happiness. Gay, when they hijacked the word gay, that was a real tragedy. Gay used to mean Gay. <laughs> And now it doesn't mean gay anymore. And, uh, 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 but their sin will find them out. The laws of God cannot be broken with impunity. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Sin brings its own punishment, but then Judgment Day comes, and God finishes it in the second death. We read about, or I mentioned when I quoted uh, 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 the guy's hymn about Judgment Day. Uh, the lamp of the wicked will be put out. Their lamps put out a light that brings no joy. It brings no joy and no joy to themselves and no joy to, to others. It doesn't grow brighter. It can't grow brighter because it's not light in the first place. And it's not blessed by the Holy Spirit. The power and the blessing of God, the Holy Spirit, is what makes our lights shine ever brighter. The devil, the spirit of this world, has no such power. Their light cannot shine brightly. He may influence wicked men to band together and support one another, and that's what we see on the news media, and that's what we see in the world around us given the appearance of power and popularity but as the scripture says in Proverbs 11:21 though they join forces the wicked will not go unpunished and we don't need faith we don't need faith to see this we can see it with our eyes but we do need faith in God at this time to believe the gospel and to believe the promises of God when the world is so much against everything that God stands for. Faith has always been necessary. But now, in our time, even the very fundamentals of decency are being ridiculed. And now it's quite common, even for the authorities, to punish righteousness in many places. There's places in the world I could go to prison for teaching, uh, teaching this sermon that I'm teaching right now. I could, go, I could be put in jail for this. And don't we need that? Don't we need faith in God to believe and to not fear them, but to go ahead and proclaim the Word of God anyway? Certainly we need the help of God. And the other thing we want to remember is we don't want to be ungracious to the lost. We must not despise them, as some do. We must seek to win them and not to offend them. You might say, well, Al, the things you've been saying, that's certainly going to offend them. Well, the the truth is going to offend them. We don't have to be offensive in the way we treat them. We can treat them lovingly, but we need to, we're not treating them lovingly if we, if, if we just skim over their sin and say, oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, no, it's not okay, and you're not helping them when you do that. You need to very graciously let them know that what they're doing is sin as God opens the doors. See, we need to know sound doctrine, don't we? We need to know sound doctrine so we can let the Word of God convince them. And we need to, Lean on the Holy Spirit to help us to defend the faith with humility and respect and wisdom. And we need the love of God at work within us so that we might win others to Christ. I think about the example of Jesus, and I I think about that often, about Jesus, how he dealt with sinners. We need to study that as Christians and see how he dealt with sinners. I mentioned the woman of the well and how he dealt with her. Think also about Zacchaeus and how he called him down from that sycamore tree, and he was one of the most... Uh, notorious sinners in, in Jericho, and he called him down. And he was gracious to him, and he said, "I'm going to stay at your house, Zacchaeus." And Zacchaeus gladly received him, and Jesus saved his soul. And I think about the the woman at Simon the Pharisee's house. Remember, she was a notorious sinner, and she cried and wept, and and, uh, and 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 washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And he said, "He said, daughter, your sins are forgiven you. You know, you, you see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ." You see it in the woman caught in adultery and how he treated her. And we see that kind of grace. Now think of this, Christian. You may be the only light that shines in the, light of, in the in the lives of some people. There may be someone in your life, Christian, that you are the only one that has the light of the gospel that they even know. Think about that. The light that you have that brings all this joy into your life, that brings joy into the lives of your children. This light, this person that you know, doesn't have this light. They don't know any other Christian but you. You've got a heavy responsibility, don't you? You need to think about that with people in your lives. Now, we read earlier in Proverbs 4.18, it says, The path of the just is like the shining sun, That shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. But the next verse says this in Proverbs 4:19, it says, "The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them to stumble." You see, this is such a good description of me before I was saved. I was stumbling over everything. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I was going through life stumbling in darkness. I was so ignorant. I was groping in darkness. I was wise in my own eyes, like so many young people I meet today. I was so wise, I thought, but I was so mistaken. But I remember well, I remember well, the kindness and the grace that was shown to me by several Christians at that time in my life. And I know that God used that in my life to make a difference so that when the man showed up, the evangelist showed up that night, uh, that, that wonderful night in uh, April of 1973, and he, he shared the gospel with me, I I knew, at the very minimum, I knew that he didn't mean me any harm. And I was willing to give him a, a hear. I was willing to listen. And I got a lot more than I thought I was going to get when I went to listen to him. The Lord saved my soul that night. And I'll never forget it, and I'll never be the same. You know, in all of Jesus dealing with sinners, it was obvious that he was not in it for the money and that he truly cared for people. And we need to be like Jesus. People in our lives need to know that we're, in, we're, we're there for, to make their lives better and that we care. And we need to keep in mind also that as it gets darker, the brighter our lights can shine. Don't let the darkness around you discourage you, Christian, because as it gets darker, your light can shine greater. So my question is this. How's your light today? How's your light? First of all, is your light bringing rejoicing into your life and into the lives of others? And then also, is it shining brighter? Is it shining brighter? Are you growing in grace? Is your light shining brighter Well, now, if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and this all sounds strange to you, understand the gospel is your only hope. God extends the gospel to us in grace and in mercy. And the Bible says it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. God knows all about your sins. But instead of you being in hell at this very moment, He's put you here. Or maybe you're listening on the Internet and you're listening to this. You're listening to this right now. Jesus Christ is offering you peace with God. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't distinguish. He doesn't say you've got to be a certain class of person. You've got to have a certain color of skin or you've got to have this qualification or that qualification. No, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. Whosoever means whosoever. Did you know that you're a whosoever? Whoever you are, you're a whosoever. And the Bible says that whosoever will come to him, whosoever will believe on him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ freely calls you to himself. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. Or maybe that's why you're listening on the Internet. Because God has wants you to listen to this message. God wants to save you. He does not want to condemn you. It gives God no joy to cast a soul into hell. God does not like that. God hates it. You know what brings rejoicing in heaven? One sinner that repents. One sinner that repents, Jesus said, brings joy in heaven. More than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Of course, we know there's no such thing as 99 just persons who need no repentance. But he makes the point, doesn't he? One sinner coming to repentance brings joy to God. Why don't you bring joy to God this morning? Why don't you receive Christ as your Savior? Why don't you surrender your life to Him? What have you done with your life? Have you found the secret to all your desires? Have you found the fulfillment of your soul in the world, in the flesh, in the things of this world? Have you? I know you haven't because they're not there to be found. The desire of your soul is the Creator that made you. He made you for Himself. Are you living for him? If you're not, you can never be fulfilled in life. And you'll never have peace with God in death. So I invite you to Jesus Christ today. Let's pray.